listening to sermons. This is about 5% of what goes on in this church. Um, what goes on in this church is every single day of the week. And what we want you to know is we want you to be part of what God is doing. And um, the website's going to be a great way for you to follow along and figure that stuff out. And uh, things like the e-cards. What a great idea. Inviting people to church. Giving online. Um, the calendar. You know how many people call Darlene and say, Darlene, what's happening? Are you here, Darlene? Guess what? They can go to the website. <laughs> and they can figure it all out. So uh, great resources. Um, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Wisconsin did a survey of how many people came to his church because of their website. It was almost 100% of the people who came new to their church came because of the website. And I don't want to embarrass her, I'm not going to say her name if she's here, um, but this Wednesday, this website's only, we unle- unveiled it today, but it was on a test case on for about four or five days, it was up and running to get the bugs out, and on Wednesday night, a woman came to church, and I said, well, how did you find out about Portview? She said, I found you on the website. And, it, and because there was all the different websites, she went to the one that, because remember, you click on 50 different websites, the one that said, that's the church I want to go to. And so already I ran to Pastor Paul immediately and I said, your work is paying off. Somebody went on it already and they didn't even supposed to know about it. And, uh, and uh, um, came to church and had a wonderful experience at church. And so, um, you know what, friends? We are supposed to use every means possible to change our world. And uh, every means possible to be the best church in the world. And uh, this is just another tool in our arsenal. All right? Amen. Amen. Enough of that stuff. Um, we're going to continue on with our series, which if you missed the other ones, you can go on the website and po- get the podcasts um, for, so you don't have to uh, bother Bob and have him spend his whole life making CDs and uh, save all that money that we don't have to do that. Um, who remembers what week one of Achieving Financial Freedom was about? Work. That's right, I heard it. Work. And we are supposed to hate work as Christians, right? No. How are we? One verse summarize it. We are supposed to work how? Heartily is unto the Lord. And we found out that work is not a four-letter word, although it has four letters in it. But it's not a curse word. Work is a gift from God, given by God to us, to not only earn money, but also to let our gifts be developed and to then do earn and use that money to provide for ourselves and then to share with the world. World. So we found out that work is a good thing. And next week, we looked at kind of two things combined into one. The first thing we looked at is being Christian stewards. And we found that a steward is a manager of somebody else's resources. And we found that in context of our Christianity, stewardship is you and me taking the gifts and abilities and valuable things that God has given to us and managing them for the glory of God. And we found out a great freeing fact in that. We found out that if we will do that, that we will then we'll take the realize that everything is God's, we manage it for Him, that then God will take care of us as we do that. And we learned that even in a bad economy, or especially in a bad economy, that's a great thing to know, that God will take care of you. Anybody ever awful can rest better at night knowing that God is in control? As financial stewards, we live by financial stewardship principles according to the scriptures. We can rest in the fact that God is in control. And then, on that same sermon, we said, okay, if we're going to do this, how do we do it? And we talked about a really simple plan called the 10-10-80 plan. And you know what I was so excited about? This is what makes my, my, uh, my motor run. A mom came to me this week 
and said, my son went home and said, Mom, I'm doing the 10-10-80 plan. A teenage child, a teenage boy, and began to say, I need 10% for this and 10% for that. And this teenage boy said, I'm going to do it. And so you know what? I said, praise the Lord, because that's what we're supposed to do. Train our children in the ways of the Lord. And so what was the first 10% for in the 10-10-80 plan? God, it's a tithe. We learned what a tithe is. That tithe actually means 10% and that we're to give a tithe to God. The second 10% gets is what? Savings. savings. We give 10% to long-term savings for our retirement or for emergencies. And we found out that if we would do that, we'd have an economic crisis like we're in our nation right now and it doesn't tend to, to upset our apple cart so much because we can survive um, even though things get out of hand because we've been living by financial principles that God gave us in His Word. The, sec- the last 80% goes for what? Everything else. And we learned that if we have extra money left than 80%, it's okay to buy a boat. Right? <laughs> Didn't we learn that? We learned that if there's left, money left over, God doesn't want us to live like paupers. He wants to bless us. And you know what? If there's money left over in 80%, then you can spend it. And we also learned that as we're doing that, we let the Spirit of the Lord direct us. And often God will direct us to use that 80%, not only to pay our bills, but to bless other people and be a blessing in the kingdom of God. And I have 2,600 reasons to believe that you understand that. Because we gave $2,600 to Haiti on last Sunday. And so we understand this, that we use that extra to then be a blessing. Now, today, um, or last Sunday, our sermon, uh, in, in all of talking about that, we talked about another four-letter word that I, I hope by the end of this you view as a four-letter word. And it was the word debt. And we talked about debt just a little bit. And that's what we're going to focus on today. But I want us to talk about this in a way that maybe you have not considered before. And I'm going to tell you something. I had pretty much in my mind the idea on what I was going to preach on this Sunday from the beginning of this series. And I always write my sermons on Thursdays. And Wednesday night, God wouldn't let me sleep. And I stayed awake and I couldn't sleep. And I kept thinking about this sermon. And I felt that God gave me a completely different direction to take at least in the beginning of this sermon. And I really believe this because it's going to affect um, people in this room today. It's going to minister to you and it's going to explain some things to you. And so I'm going to talk about things in a little different way that maybe you haven't thought about before because we're going to talk about debt. But before we talk about debt, we're going to talk about something that's related to having debt. And it's this, it's stress. Has anybody ever felt stressed out in their lives at all? Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. Has anybody ever felt stressed out because of financial matters in your lives? I have. Many people, I can't count the amount of people over my, my life that have come to me and said, Pastor, I just got to talk to you, and, and it's about financial issues. Um, I would say this, if you haven't felt stress over something in your life, you're not alive. You know, because that's just human, the human condition. We get stressed out about stuff. Um, and we know some things about stress. And, and, and follow with me here. We're, gonna talk, we're talking about debt, but we're going to start talking about stress first because you're going to see all these things tie together. Um, you know, we know from just doctors and psychology and, and health physicians that, that stress can have major negative effects on us. You know, we know it's related to heart disease. We know it's related to high blood pressure. You know, all kinds of things. You nurses and doctors in here say, uh-huh, we know that. Um, stress can have a lot of negative effects. But I'm going to tell you something. There's one effect 
that I don't think maybe we generally think about. And it's something that I'm going to share a story with you in a minute that the Lord revealed to me in my life, and I think it's going to mean something to you, and it's this. It's that an effect of stress that maybe you've not thought of before is this, that stress causes diminished capacity. We're going to talk about that. Write it down. This was a revolutionary concept in my life and my ability to get along with my wife. I'm telling you this. So just listen. Ability to get along with my kids. Stress causes diminished capacity. And let me explain what I mean and how the Lord showed this to me. At one particular time in our lives, and it was when we were making a decision about would we leave missions after only three, three years with World Missions, had some stuff come up, and we had to decide what would we do, and we were in a situation in our lives where I would say, and I think Suzanne and the boys would agree, we were under more pressure and more stress than we ever had been in in our lives. And here's what I'd like you to believe about that time. I'd like you to believe this. That as we walked through that time, what we did is every day we woke up in the morning, we joined hands, and we prayed together, and the glory of God fell. And we just began to embrace each other and talked about how God is in control and how we loved each other. You know what really happened during that time? We fought like cats and dogs. You know, I, oh, Pastor, you, I can't believe that. Guess what? So do you. We fought like cats and dogs. We were in this pressure cooker, and we began to just fight and squabble, and it was, it was terrible. And um, in a time where we needed to be closer to each other than we ever had been in our entire lives so that we could come to a unified decision, because that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to discern from the Lord God's plan for the Larson family. And so we needed to be close. We needed to be connected. At a time when we needed to be closer than ever, we were, I felt, farther apart than we'd ever been. And the stress was just, was just tearing us up. And I, I began to pray and ask God and say, God, you know, I was praying about the situation before, but pretty soon the situation didn't really matter. What mattered is the fact that my family and I were, were tearing each other apart. You know, and you know what? And we're people who get up and read our Bibles every day. We're people who pray together. We're people who are doing our best to serve God. And there's tension in the house. There's just stress in the house. And we're saying, and I'm saying, God, why? Why does it seem that, that, this, that we're in a situation that that's, should be pulling us together so we can be unified? Instead, it's tearing us apart. And as I began to pray about that and think about it, the Lord reminded me of something. He reminded me of a friend of mine who was part of a church in Michigan that we pastored, who him and his wife had gone through a long-term um, illness with a child, and eventually, after eight years of illness, their daughter died from, from kidney failure. And him and his wife had walked through that together. And he told me often about how, the, how it made so much stress in their marriage. And then he told me about that as they went through this, because they went through it with other families, because they kinda, you kind of build a culture when you're going through it with other people going through the same stuff through hospitals that they were at. They said that they were the only marriage that they knew of that had survived this long-term illness and death of a child. They said every other couple that had walked through this, these long-term illnesses, um, that eventually when the child died, the marriages broke up. And the Lord reminded me of that during that time. And I started saying, God, why? At a time when we need each other more than we ever need each other any other time, when we're going through incredible stress, why is it that two people, or maybe a whole family, that really do love each other, are suddenly at each other's throats? And I said, God, it doesn't make any sense. And I feel like the Lord gave me an answer in kind of an of a, of a image that he showed me. It kind of reminded me of something um, that was just a picture, a word picture. And suddenly it made sense to me. And he showed me in my mind, and it wasn't a vision or anything, he just showed me 
a person drowning. And here's a person, and it was me, and I'm paddling in the water. You know how a dog paddle is? You're just doing this number. You know, and a person drowning in the water trying to survive. And, and I just knew what God was saying. Well, that's what it's like in stress. You're just, you're just paddling to keep yourself afloat. And when you're in financial stress, you know what that's like. You're just, every day it's on your mind and it's, it's in your heart and you're just paddling and all your, all your energy is going to, to try to keep your, your head above the water. And, and the Lord showed me, Mark, when you're in that situation, all of your energy goes to self-preservation. That everything within you, all your energy, just goes to keep yourself from drowning. And in a drowning situation, when you're there and you're paddling, dog paddling, and there might be six other people dog paddling around you, and you're just trying to keep your head above water and it feels like you're going to sink under, when you're in that situation, you have no capacity to help anybody around you. That there could be somebody drowning right next to you, but your capacity has been diminished. You don't have any more resources that you can use to help the person next to you. And so you just keep your head above water barely in this situation and suddenly the people around you, you almost become tunnel visioned and you don't see them anymore and you can't help someone who's drowning right next to you or in another situation where you weren't in this diminished capacity where you were just surviving, you would reach out and help that person. You would lift them up, you would minister to them, you would care for them. But because you're in this high stress situation where you're just trying to survive yourself, your capacity to help others is diminished. You see, that's what happens in times of great stress. You're just keeping your head above the water. So when other people need help around you, guess what? You've got nothing to give. And so instead of helping others, what do people actually do when they're just paddling? If you're thinking, you're drowning. Instead of helping the drowning person next to you, what do you do? You hurt the person next to you. You ever heard the stories? If you're anybody ever trained as a lifeguard? You've been trained as a lifeguard. What do they tell you? Never grab a drowning person. Why? Because in their panic, what will they do? They will crawl on top of you and they'll push you underwater and they'll drown you. A person who never would have thought of hurting you five minutes earlier, now in this complete panic situation where they're just surviving, you know what they're going to do? They're going to stick your head right under the water to try to pick their head up. And all of a sudden I realized, that's what's going on in our relationships. I'm just trying to survive and I'm pushing the heads down of the people next to me just trying to get by and they're pushing my head down and it's creating a situation we're not helping each other. Instead, we're hurting each other. And not only do we hurt each other, minimum what we do is we keep people at arm's length. We're in this stress drowning situation. At least, maybe sometimes we're not pushing other people down, but at least we backpedal a little bit and we stay where no one else can get a hold of me because I know if anybody else gets a hold of me, i got one more weight to handle and I'm going to sink. And I remember describing it to Suzanne like this. I said, honey, I feel like I'm in a tunnel. And it's pulling me down. And I just feel like I'm being sucked down and I can't handle one more thing right now. I just don't have any capacity. It's sucking me in. That's because you're just trying to take care of yourself. And so instead of helping others, people actually begin to hurt people or at least keep people at arm's length. Now friends, is it possible that this scenario has ever played out in your lives? That you've been in a situation under pressure? All of a sudden, light bulbs are going on right now? Oh, no wonder she acted like that. No wonder he acted like that. 
We're in this time of pressure and no wonder why when I could have said to my spouse a hundred times about a situation, she would have acted one way and all of a sudden she's acting different towards me. And it's like, and I'm because I'm drowning, I'm getting offended easy because I don't have the capacity anymore and she doesn't have the capacity and suddenly we're, 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 at, we're fighting. Is it possible that that's happened in your lives that the stress of a situation has caused you to just take care of yourself and you can't take care of anywhere, anybody else? Well, I think, I think it has. And we don't have time today to talk about the, to how to overcome it, but I'll give you how to overcome it in a nutshell. Because for some of you, this is stirring something up and you need to know just a very simple way. Maybe sometime in the future, we'll talk about it at a greater length. But here's how to handle it in a nutshell. I said, God, so okay, what do I do about it? I'm just, I'm just pat, dog paddling. Suzanne's dog paddling. Josh is dog paddling. Brett's dog paddling. And we don't have the capacity to help each other because we're just surviving. What do we do? And God said, number one, just understand the situation. So next time you're in stress, just understand the situation. That when you're stressed out, you understand that I'm just barely surviving. You understand that, you know what, my capacities are diminished. There's nothing wrong with readmitting the truth. You know what we do in Christianity? We lie all the time. We, we misrepresent it. How are you doing? Oh, bless God, Pastor, I'm doing great. And then I find out, I find out a week later you're in divorce court. I'm doing great and I found out you lost your house. We can be honest, friends. We can say what's really going on in our lives. You shouldn't. There's no place you feel safer telling the truth than in church with your Christian family. And so the first thing is just recognize the truth. The truth is I'm already stressed out right now and my capacities are diminished. I just don't have the ability so much right now to help everybody else. I'm going to deal with the stress. God's going to get me through it. But right now my capacities are diminished. So recognize what's happening. And then in your mind set out, just make it a point to say, I'm going to give extra grace to everybody around me. I'm going to give extra grace that, that when that person responds to me in a way that I don't like, you know what? I'm going to say, okay, they're stressed and I'm stressed and I'm going to give extra grace right now. I'm going to, not, I'm not, I'm going to choose not to get offended. Now, we should do that all the time, but in a time of great stress, we really got to understand it because we're not thinking as clear as we should. So you've got to make a decision, a mental decision to say, I'm just going to give them extra Grace. So is that making sense so far, what I'm talking about? Stress. We're understanding stress, what stress does to us. Now, with this in mind, let's move forward and apply this to our topic. And you say, I don't get it. Well, I'm going to show you how. Our topic of achieving financial freedom. Let me tell you a reality of life, of finance, and it's this. Debt stress causes diminished capacity in your lives. Not only to change stress generic, but debt Stress. Stress over debt, over financial problems, causes diminished capacities in your lives. And we're going to talk about some of the ways. The first way, and this is the stuff that I didn't plan on saying, but I think God wants me to say to you, this whole thing on stress, God wants you to understand this today. The first way that debt stress causes diminished capacity in your lives is just very obvious. It causes a diminished capacity in your ability to, to just to give. Your ability to, to give your money for other things. Money that should go toward generous giving is used to make interest payments. You remember what we learned last Sunday? Do you remember the percentage of how much the average American uses of their, of their gross income just to service interest on debt? I mentioned it last week. 14.5, 8,000 was how much we had in credit cards. 14.5% of our income was just how much we spend on interest to service debt. Can you imagine that? Boo say, oh, tithing, that's big. We give double, a tithe and a half just to pay interest on buying the Ginsu knives at 2 in the morning that we ordered on QVC. You know, do they still sell Ginsu knives? 
Do they? Does anybody know? Do you guys know what Ginsu knives are? Okay, they must not sell Ginsu knives anymore. But anybody who used to watch late night TV, everybody, you know, on three in the morning, you bought Ginsu knives on your credit card. Um, so one of the ways that 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 debt stress causes diminished capacity is in your ability to give. That's just that's simple. But another way that debt stress causes diminished capacity in your lives is your ability to have healthy relationships. That debt stress robs you of your ability to have healthy relationships because we just said this. You can't help your kids. You can't help your spouse. You can't help your friends. You can't help your church when you are using all of your emotional energy just to survive because you're drowning in debt. And the proof in the pudding is the number one cause for marital breakup is financial problems. Talk to any counselor. Number one reason people get divorced is because of issues with debt and financial problems. So don't take it from me if you don't want. I'm telling you, it's just a fact. The number one reason people... So so debt stress um, diminishes our capacity to have healthy relationships. There's another thing that debt stress does. It diminishes our capacity for ministry effectiveness. You know, when your capacity to give love is diminished... Remember, that's what's happening. When you're just paddling... Now your capacity is diminished. You don't have a free hand to help this person anymore because both your hands are doing this to stay afloat. It diminishes your capacity to give love. And if you can't give love, then you can't adequately serve other people. If you can't adequately serve, what's ministry? Ministry is just serving. So debt stress diminishes our capacity to minister effectively. And there's another thing. I could, I could list off a list of a hundred of them, but I thought four of them we need to mention. This last one is going to be very, very important for some of you, and it's this. Debt stress causes diminished, diminished capacity in our lives in the ability to go. So what I mean, ability to go. Jesus said in his word, go into all the world and make disciples. Didn't he? Go. For some of you in this room, God has called you to a lifestyle different than maybe other people around you. God has called me and my family to it to this point in our lives. And it was a calling to go. Some of you, I don't know what it's like. I can't imagine what it's like. Pastor Pete, how long have you lived in your home? 37 years. I can't imagine what it's like to live in the same home for 37 years. I don't think we've ever lived in a home longer than five years at the most. I don't know if we've made five years in the 20 years we've been together, and the years before that when I was single. You know why? Because God had given me a call to go. And the call to go was to go into the world and preach the gospel, and that meant plant the church here, plant the church there, teach missions there, and it was a call to go. And for some of you, God has called you, because some of you have told me you want to talk to me about going into missions. And God's called you to go. For some of you, that's going across the street. And that's a valid calling. It's as valid as any other calling. But for some of you, God is calling you to go and to do something else where you've got to actually get rid of the house, get rid of the cars, get on a plane, and go to a brand new place. It's a biblical thing God calls us to, isn't it? To go. Probably the number one thing that keeps Americans from their ability to go, it's not the call, it's debt. It's debt. Can you imagine that? If you apply to be a world missionary with the Assemblies of God, you know what the first thing they do is they give you an application. And you want to know what one of the very first questions on the application is? How much debt do you have? If you have over $200 a month in in debt servicing, which isn't a whole lot, that means one car payment, one credit card payment, if you have over $200 a month in payments, guess what they say to you? They say, get rid of your debt and apply again in the future. When Suzanne and I came out of Bible college and we were going to plant a church, 
God called us the whole time we were, when I was in Bible college. God very, very miraculously spoke to me about being a church planter. And we pursued it. We got out of college. We went to plant a church. We were asked by Joel Pavia to go to Marquette, Michigan and plant a church. To meet with a group of people in Marquette. To see about planting a church. Another church wanted to, wanted to help mother a church. We went there. They, we met with their leaders. The first question they asked me, it was not, are you born again? <laughs> they did not ask me if I was saved. They didn't ask me if my marriage was solid. They didn't ask me if I prayed one minute a day. They didn't ask me if I fasted. They asked me, how much debt do you have? Because debt was a great revealer of what was going on. They said, how much debt do you have? And I said, nothing. And Suzanne goes, yes, we do. And I said, what? <laughs> Honestly, I, could, I remember I said, yesterday. I said, what? What, what do you mean we have debt? We had just graduated from college. We went through completely debt-free. We vowed to the Lord that I, I vowed to the Lord when I started. I would not borrow a penny to go to college. And no parents gave us a dime. We went through. I worked t- like you know a madman, worked and went to school. After two years, got married. Suzanne and I got married. We continued to work. We walked out of college with $1,000 in our pocket and zero debt. Now, we lived in abject poverty. I'm telling you the truth. We lived... We lived in a rat trap trailer that none of you would set your dog in. And this is the God's honest truth. We lived on $10 a week for groceries for two years. We ate ground turkey, tortilla chips, and refried beans for two years of our lives. We never ate anything else. And we worked at a street mission. And the one reason we worked at a street mission, we got food. That's the truth. And we would bring, we would bring food home from the street mission so we could eat. And that's the honest truth because we were committed to going debt free. We walk out of school to fulfill the call of God to go, and the first question they ask me is, they didn't ask me if I passed any of my classes. They said, how much debt do you have? And I said, none. And she goes, yes, we do. And I go, what? She goes, well, we have like $100 on our credit card. I'm like, honey, that's not debt. You know, um, because here's the deal. I've had a credit card, I figured, for 28 years of my life, and we've, I've yet to pay one penny of interest in 28 years. Not one penny. Committed to not having any debt. So we use it as a tool, but never use it to pay for what we don't have. And that first question they asked me, how much debt do you have? Because you know what they said to you? So us, because you're not going to make anything. You know what? And we didn't. They said, we, made two, we lived at less than $200 a week for probably the first three years of pastoring. And, and in that time, had two children and somehow saved money and bought a car, cash. How? Because we were committed to not having any debt. So... Um, Debt, stress, causes diminished capacity in your ability to go if God calls you, if you're in debt. And the question you need to ask yourself along this area is, is it worth borrowing to have the nice new cars and to have the big home and to have all the extra toys if you are then unable to follow the Lord's call to go? And I would say this, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to be handcuffed because you can't do what God called you to do. Now, Let's take the next step. We really need to understand something about this. This isn't about just financial stuff, friends. This is as spiritual as it gets. Because understand something with me today. Debt stress causes diminished capacity in many areas of our lives that we've just talked about. And the devil loves it. This is why it's so spiritual. Debt stress causes diminished capacity in all kinds of areas in our lives. The ability to go, the ability to be generous, the ability to have good relationships, the ability to do adequate ministry. And the devil loves it when we're stressed out. You know what? The devil doesn't have to kill you. 
The devil doesn't worry about you, kill you, get you, crash you in a car. He can't do that. He doesn't have to do that. He just tempts us to spend on things we can't afford, to borrow money, get in debt, and then be rendered ineffective. That's all he cares about. And friends, that's the story of many Americans today. We're diminished by debt. And the devil is sitting around and he's laughing at us. He's saying, I don't have to worry about these people. They couldn't go if I asked them anyways. They can't make it for a day without, with, without being stressed out because of their debt load so they can have you know, the newest, latest, greatest, whatever. And the devil is laughing. Church, we're supposed to be different. We are supposed to be different. We are supposed to march to the beat of a different drummer, to the drumbeat of Jesus Christ who says, Go, give, do, serve. And those things are all diminished if we're overwhelmed with debt. Jesus wants us to be free in all areas of our lives. We talked about it last week. We said He wants us to be free in the area of our spiritual lives. He wants, us to, he wants us to understand that we are debtors. You know that? You're a debtor spiritually. You have the old song. I was going to sing it today, but I figured, if you guys don't know what Ginsu Knives are, you sure don't know this song. That I owed a debt that I could not pay, and he owed a debt, or he paid a debt that he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. You know, that's what, that's what spiritual indebtedness is all about. Anybody know that song? Okay, some of us old fogies know it. Okay? You know what? That, that we're debtors. Spiritually, we're debtors. That we owe a debt. That we sin caused a debt in our lives. And that Jesus, God sent His Son in this world, what? To pay our debt. To wipe away our sins and make us debt-free spiritually so we can live for Christ. That's what salvation is all about. About paying the price that we could never pay. But we're also finding out, church, that we're supposed to be different in the area of finances. finances. And we're supposed to be people who are not bound by debt. And you know what the cool thing is? He gives us all these guidelines in His Bible, in the Word, for how we're supposed to live this way. We looked at some of them in the last couple of weeks. And there's just one text we want to look at today. One text. One, Proverbs 22.7 is our text on God's Word for us today about this topic. Proverbs 22.7 says this, our verse for the day. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. Proverbs 22.7. You know what? Parents, you want to teach your kids something that will change their lives? Have them memorize Proverbs 22.7. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. Because it's not just about money. It's about diminished capacity. It's about their ability to follow the plan of God. It's about their ability to do what God calls them to do. It's about their ability to minister effectively in the future and they can't do it effectively if they're drowning in debt. They don't have the capacity to do it. Proverbs 22.7, the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Do you think the devil knows that? The devil knows it. And that's why he doesn't try to kill us, he just tries to indebt us, get us indebted. Let's think about this, this idea. The borrower becomes lender's slave with a real life, a possible real life illustration. And follow me, there's going to be some numbers in this, but follow, follow me. Let's say that as Americans we think it's okay to live by the philosophy that says buy what you want, put a dollar down and pay a dollar the rest of your life. We say debt's okay. And some of you say, um, well who would say that? Hey, where I was discipled as a Christian, that's what the pastor taught all the time. He'd say, I buy that big car, put a dollar down, drive for all the rest of my life. He'd always tell you it all the time. Dollar down, dollar the rest of your life. That was the philosophy. Let's say you think that philosophy is okay. Buy whatever you want, put a dollar down, pay a dollar the rest of your life. 
And let's say having that attitude, you charge $3,000 on your credit cards. 3000 Now what did we say last week? We said last week, the average credit card debt in America is $8,500. So you would be almost a third only of what the average credit card debt is in America. So you charge $3,000 on your credit card. And let's say um, you, on that $3,000 credit card, you decided to just pay the minimum monthly payments, which has been 2%. It's being changed up to 4% now. It just changed. But 2% of the balance of that, on, on that thing. And you paid that, let's say, at, at 18% interest. Anybody pay 18% interest on that credit card? That's even, it gets higher than that. I've heard of ones, ones recently having 21% interest. So $3,000, you pay the minimum payments, is at 18% interest. Do you know how long it would take you to pay off that credit card if you never charge anything else? Any idea? 37 years and 7 months. That 3000 bucks would take you 37 years and 7 months to pay it off, paying the minimum payments at 18%. And at the end of that, you know how much money you would have paid for that $3,000 that you had to have for that new four-wheeler? or that new boat, or that new motorcycle, or that new whatever, cruise, you would have paid $10,931. In other words, almost $8,000 would have went to interest. Three times almost would have went to interest to the, of, compared to the cost of the thing you originally bought 37 years and seven months earlier. Do you think that was a good investment? I don't think so. Um, matter of fact, you would have spent $8,000 on interest that could have been used for something eternal. It could have been used... I heard people say, I have no money for my kid's education. That's $8,000 that could have went your kids for your kid's education. Now, what would have happened if we, somehow we could have turned this thing around a little bit? And instead of putting $3,000 on your credit card, somehow you kept from spending and you actually saved $3,000. And I know that's a huge, a huge switch. Instead of borrowing three thousand, you actually save three thousand dollars, and you put that three thousand dollars away in in an IRA or a four hundred one k, and you earned ten percent interest. And I understand last year you're not making ten percent, or two years ago you weren't making ten percent interest. But historically, that's what has been paid in our stock market for a hundred years, average right at about ten percent interest. And let's say you you just invested it, and you made ten percent interest, which right now sounds great, but historically has not been overwhelming. How much do you think you would have had at the end of that 37 years and 7 months? A lot of money. I'm giving you a minute. Dave's the number guy. So $126,454. you imagine? Think when you're 18 kids and you get that credit card. You apply for college and the dumbest thing they do. Not dumb. They're smart. They send you a bunch of credit cards. Credit card applications. You get one and you charge $3,000 on it. And you spend 8000 in interest over 37 years. But if you would take that same $3,000 and you just put it in the bank, put it, get 10% interest in a, in a retirement account, it would turn out being $126,454. You think there's a little spread there? You think the one is a little better than the other? Church, the thing that makes this scenario work is a simple word of, of interest. It's interest. Paying a lot of it will kill you financially, but earning it can be a benefit to you greatly. In church, my goal today is really simple. I had one goal starting off today. And that's what I generally try to do in a sermon. I got one goal every day. And my goal is simply this. I want you all to get on the right side of the interest equation. I want you to learn to receive interest on savings instead of paying interest on debt. And beyond that, I want you to see debt as a monster. 
If I can walk, you walk out of here and you see dead as a monster, God is happy with me today. Because that's what He wants. Because the stress debt diminishes your capacity. I want you to see debt as a monster. I want you to learn to avoid it like the plague. My poor kids have been hammered on about not getting in debt so much in their lives that they, they almost think that it is the plague. You know, all they ever talk about is how am I going to college? I can't borrow any money. You know, and uh, we say, don't worry, it's all going to work out. You know, they just understand you don't borrow money because dad is hammered on it from the day they were born. When they were, well, I think when they were delivered. First thing I said to them, words of wisdom is, don't get into debt. I mean, that could have been their very friend. Then I told them I loved them. Because debt diminishes their capacity to become what God wants them to become. And God wants us to be free. He who the Son was set free is free indeed. And I want you to see debt as a monster. And my hope is that today you will covenant in your heart to get out of debt if you're in it, and you'll begin to save and live financially free. So that if God says to you in five years, go, you can go. If God says to you in five years or five minutes, when God, when God raises somebody up in His church, and they say, God wants me to go, that the rest of us are living in such a way that we can say, and we'll send you. Because we're not spending 14.5% of our money on paying interest payments. We're sticking it in the bank, and God speaks to me and says, Mark, make a withdrawal, because so-and-so needs to go. That's the way the kingdom of God is expanded, my friends. That's what God wants. So, I want you to see debt as a monster. I'm going to give you a, a way to get to that point. A financial fact to live by. And I'll tell you, I live in the same world you do. I've made less money than most of you for much of my career because of my career choices as church planters. Um, and we have always lived by the rule I'm going to tell you right now. And you're going to say, well, it's impossible. You can't live in America that way. I'm telling you, you can and it's this. If you can't pay for something with cash, and meaning doesn't mean you actually use cash, but you have a credit card or whatever, or a checkbook, but the cash is on hand. If you can't pay for something with cash, then you can't afford it. You don't have to pray about it. If you can't pay for something with cash, you can't afford it. And if you need to borrow for it, then you can't afford it. So guess what? Don't buy it. That's not that hard. It takes away all the stress. Because if I don't have the money to pay for it, I know what it's about. How do you pray about it? I don't have to think about it. If I don't have the money, but it's a great deal. doesn't matter. If I don't have the money, it's not for me. If I can't afford to pay for it, then I don't have um, the money to live by. The money to, to purchase it and I shouldn't purchase it. Now, you say, are there any exceptions to the rules? Yes, there can be an exception to the rule. The exception to the rule is, you, it can be, I'm saying can be, not necessarily, you don't have to do it, but it can be okay to borrow on an appreciating item. You know what appreciating means? It gets worth more. It can, I'm not saying you have to, but it can be okay to borrow money on an appreciating item because the increasing value of that item will then pay for the debt that you have then used to purchase that item. For instance, what will be the first thing you think of when I say that? A house. And I'm saying it can be okay. You know, we call it the American dream, but it doesn't have to be, it's not necessarily the God dream. You're not a second class citizen if you don't own a home. Not at all. Matter of fact, for some of you, you shouldn't own a home because God wants you to go. And the home is just an anchor holding you back. But you know what? It can be okay to own a home. I've always owned homes. And you know what? Homes have been a great investment for me. Because I bought junk, I've fixed them up, and I've sold them for more money. You know what? It's worked out really good for me. It can be okay. Because it's worth more later. And guess what? I've got to pay rent somewhere anyways. So I might as well build up equity and make some money on it. That's okay. 
Another thing that can be okay, it could be okay to take out the, uh, an appropriate business loan. You know what? God might, and this is my prayer for you, I pray that God gives you ideas on how to make millions of dollars. I agree with Pastor Bruce. God gives people, some people, the ability to make lots of money. And you know why He does? Not so you can buy yachts, so that you can bless the kingdom of God. I honestly believe that. He gives some people the ability to buy, to make lots of money, so they can give it away. And uh, it could be okay to borrow money to start a business um, if you really think a business is going to pan out and you're going to make more money. I'm saying can be. It could be okay, and this is where financial people disagree on a little bit. I personally disagree on this one, but financial guys will tell you it could be okay to borrow money for a car um, because you've got to get to work. Now, when I came back from Cambodia, wasn't going to borrow any money. The van I drive out in the state parking lot, take a guess how much I paid for that van. A thousand bucks. That's what it looks like, isn't it? You're right. A thousand bucks. It's worth a thousand dollars. That's what I paid for it. A thousand dollars. I've been driving it for a year and a half. Would I rather drive a, a nice, you know, BMW? Oh, no, would I rather drive an extended cab, big, huge pickup, four-wheel drive, jacked up with all this stuff? That's what I'd rather drive. But what do I drive? I drive a, a 10-year-old minivan. Why? Because I bought what I could afford. Didn't borrow money on it. But I understand that sometimes we've got to get to work. If you ain't get to work, you can't earn money. And I'd say one other thing that could be. I think it could be okay to borrow money on a college loan. And some of you are at the point where you're getting ready to go to college. And you're going to say, I'm just going to take, go to the financial department. They're going to tell me to borrow all this money. I'm going to tell you, do something first. Give God a chance to provide. Almost all of my stories that we have about financial provision, of miraculous financial provision, came when we were in college, when we committed to not borrowing any money. Literally, people I don't know would send us money in the mail. It was awesome. It was like, you know, cool. You know, the, the, the ravens bringing food to the prophet. I couldn't wait to get to the mailbox. People we didn't know would send us money in the mail. They'd go like, God told me to send you money. It's like, who are you? I don't care who you are. Give me the money. Um, you know? Because I got, a, I got a bill I got to pay here, you know? And uh, I don't care where it came from. Just give it to me, God. And he did. You know, when you're going to college, kids, work hard. Don't think the answers. I've got a friend right now who's a pastor. And he's an incredible pastor. And him and his wife both went to North Central University. It's one of our, our AG colleges. And they both borrowed money and one borrowed more than the other. And they have been serving God faithfully in ministry now for probably seven or eight years full time. They live in a little tiny apartment. And the reason they live in that apartment is their, their debt payment on their student loans is larger than the rent payments that they pay every month. And they will still be seven or eight years until they pay off their school loans. And so they cannot even afford to get in the house. Now, they have enough money. They could buy a very nice home. But they're paying more for debt service every month on student loans than they're paying on the rent they pay every single month. And they said, well, we can't even think about a home for at least seven or eight more years. So 15 years out of high school, out of college rather, they're paying on those loans. You know what I say? It can be okay, but be as frugal as possible in there. You know, borrow as little as possible. And here's just the basic rule. Never borrow on depreciating items. Most things depreciate in value, so don't borrow on them. Now, I understand something today. For some of you, this is really hard to hear. Because this has not been your guidebook for understanding financial principles. That has been your guidebook for understanding financial principles. Oh, no, I should say. That has been your guidebook for understanding financial principles. The television set and the culture around us. 
dollar down, dollar the rest of your life, the rest of your lives. And I'm telling you, I know this is hard. But if you are honest with yourself, you know that debt stress is diminishing your capacity in many ways, and I know you don't like it. So if debt is an issue for you, I'm going to make a challenge to you today to make a commitment in your heart, and it's this commitment. No more debt from this day on. You can't change what you did yesterday, but you can change what you do today, and you can change what you do tomorrow. No more debt from this day on. Cut up your credit cards and toss them babies in the garbage. Toss out the catalogs when they come to your house. You know, I know that... What are some of these clothing clothing catalogs that people get... I'm thinking of some other ones. Whatever. Coles, pennies. No, not Cabela's. Don't throw away Cabela's. <laughs> Cabela's. Okay. Cabela's. I would say this. Confession time. No, that's all right. Confession time. We have spent more money on clothing at Cabela's in our lives than on every other store combined. Because a good pair of St. Lock camo is expensive. <laughs> but you only buy it when you have the money to buy it. So toss out Cabela's. Toss out Kohl's. Stop going to the malls. You know what? Shopping is a recreation for us. Do you know it's not a recreation in the rest of the world? Do you know that I never met a Cambodian one time who, when they're bored said, let's go shopping? First of all, there's nothing to buy. Second of all, it's not a recreation. It's a recreation that puts us in debt and puts us in bondage. So stop going to the malls and determine today to live within your means and start getting serious about paying off your debt. You know what, friends? You must stop the cycle. If you can't pay for it, then you can't afford it. And you know what? I'll tell you what. If God's speaking to your heart about this, go home, chop up those credit cards, bring them to me next week. Because when I see your credit cards, oh, chop up nice and small. You know, I can't put the puzzles back together. You know, <laughs> um, I'm going to do a dance every single time somebody does that. I've challenged people to do this for 20 years, and I love it when somebody comes back to me with a baggie full of chopped up credit cards, and they say, Pastor, I made a choice. No more debt. Because you know why it's a big deal to me? Because I know you're on your way to financial freedom. And financial freedom is, a, is an important, integral part in you having freedom in all of your life. Because I can see you have freedom in all the other areas of your life, and if you're bound by debt, it robs you of your capacities in every other area. And it breaks my heart when I see people who want to go forward with God and they're, they're struggling under the bondage of debt. Now, friends, I'm no fool. I understand that um, this won't be easy for some of you. Because debt is a way of life. Some of you didn't have the advantage that I had. See, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but I was raised by, raised by a hard-working construction worker who didn't borrow for anything. And he said this saying, saying to me, my brother, and my sister my whole lives, Mark, don't get behind the eight ball. You know what that meant? Don't get in debt. Don't get behind the eight ball, Mark. Don't borrow money. And so I never did. I didn't learn, I didn't learn my, financial, my financial concepts from, from this word. I did. I just didn't realize that he got it from the book. He didn't know he got it from the book. And some of you don't have that. And debt has become a way of life for you. And in order to live within your means, you may have to make some really hard adjustments in your life. You may have to sell some toys. You might have to sell some things. You may have to downsize. That big house isn't as important as freedom. 
You may have to give up certain memberships and luxuries and, and maybe rent instead of own. You may have to make some really hard life choices. Kids, I want you to understand something to me. You know what? Cell phones, cable TV, club membership, second cars, there aren't, they're not necessities. Is it hard to believe? You know what a cell phone's not a necessity? You know what kills me? When people come to me and say, I can't afford to go to this or that, the church is, you know, some camp or something, but their kids, their 12 year olds, talking on a cell phone. And I know how much it costs every month to do that. And I'm saying, what? You know what? And I'm not looking down, I'm just saying, friends, we've got to reevaluate and understand that some of these things, they're not essentials, they're extras, but they're not just extras that make our life better, they're extras that rob us of our financial freedom. And I promise you, I make you a promise. As a person who lived without for so long, none of these things will give you the joy that living financially will give you. When I've ever been in situations where we've not had money, we've not worried. Because we've had money in the bank. You know? How many people making $200 a week within a couple of years bought money? to? I think we paid like $4,000 for the first car we bought in ministry. How did we do that? Plus had babies and no insurance and paid all of that off. How? I don't know idea. But I know this, there's joy in living financially free. And I tell you, do whatever it takes to live within your means. Where are ushers? I need ushers to come forward this morning. They got something they want to hand out. Here's a card I came across years ago. You guys get ready to hand these things out. I didn't give these to you in your bulletin because you wouldn't have paid attention to me when I preached. I've been around long enough to know it's true. It would have been easier to put them in your bulletin. It's the size of a credit card. And what this is, oh, I can read it. It's questions asked before making a purchase. And for some of you, you need this. Darlene, 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 you got one in your purse. Because I, I gave this exact card out years ago in church. And it wasn't within the last six months, you pulled this out of your purse and said, Pastor Mark, I still have it. And I still use it. It's a card that simply asks eight questions that you should ask before you make a purchase. Does it put me in debt? Do I have doubt about it? Has God already led me to meet a need with, with this money? Um, have I given God the opportunity to supply it? Will it be disadvantaged, disadvantageous to my spiritual growth? Will it be meaningful to my family or is it something I want for me? Is it motivated by the love of things and seek counsel of the wise? And on the ba- of wise men and on the back side is um, a scripture that goes to each one. Why don't you guys come forward and distribute these? And this is what I want you to do with this. This is an issue for you. I want you to take this thing, and you know how in your wallets you got the little credit card areas? You take this thing and you stick it right in the front of your credit card area. If you decide you're going to keep your credit cards, that's fine with me. But you put this baby in the front. And when you're going to make a purchase that you don't know if you should make, you pull this card out of your wallet and you read it. And you ask yourself these questions. And if you don't believe that I'm right about it, you read the text, the scripture verse in the back. You know, the first one. Um, does it put me in debt? And what's the verse? That's a verse from today, Proverbs 22.7. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. And you remind yourself of the truth of God's word. And you allow this, allow God's word and, and good questions to guide your decision-making process. Because here's my, my last closing um, financial statement to you. And it's this. Poor purchasing decisions are the cause of indebtedness. Not bad luck. Not a bad economy. Poor purchasing decisions are the cause of indebtedness. And if we will learn to make right decisions, 
then we will learn to get out of debt. And if we get out of debt, guess what happens? Our capacity to do what God wants us to do expands. Who here believes it's God's will for us to be the most loving, sending, going, financially blessed church in the the entire county? Okay? Guess what? This is one of the cornerstones of that working. Somebody could say, boy, that financial stuff's not very spiritual. It doesn't get any more spiritual than this. Something that can rob me of my ability to follow the plan of God is the most spiritual thing on the planet. And so I challenge you today, if this is an issue for you, begin to make the decision. Covenant with God today. No more debt. Make a different decision between husbands and wives. Hold each other accountable. No more debt. If you got more questions about that, you come talk to me some other time and we'll talk. Why don't we stand together this morning? I know I went a little longer than normal maybe. But you know what? Thank you. I really believe the Lord completely changed this message. I really believe that this is striking home with some of us today. And I really am going to challenge you before you walk out the doors of this church today, if this is something that you know is real in your life, that you will take a few minutes and you will make a promise. That's what a covenant is. A covenant between you and God. That God, the cycle needs to stop. I need to stop the spending that I can't afford. And then once I stop the spending, then I need to work and get rid of the debt. You say, but I'm, I, I don't even want to admit to myself that I'm in that condition. You know what, friends? Be honest with yourself. In a few moments, I'm just going to open up our altars and allow you to find time to pray and deal with these things with God. But I want to make a little shift before we, uh, before we end. And it's this. All this talk about financial stuff. It's important. But it's not the most important. The most important indebtedness we're talk- that we've talked about here today, we just mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, is a spiritual indebtedness. And you may be here today and you never thought about the fact that you were born with a debt. You know, when you're an American and you're born, I forget what the number is. The last number I'd heard was like $8,000 you're in debt when you're born. With the national debt, it's a whole lot bigger now. So I don't know what it is. of debt per person when you're born that's a lot of debt but you know what you could fathom in your mind somehow how you could pay that off but the scripture is really clear so there's another debt that you're born with it's a spiritual debt it's a debt that says that we are as people are sinners that as people we are people we are sinners and we have all we all fall short of the glory of God we all choose to reject God's will and God's way in our lives. And every single one of us says, yes, I do. We've all sinned. And the Bible says because of that debt, we're bound for destruction. That the way his economy works is that that debt, the sin debt, says, okay, you can't sit in my presence. God's holy and perfect. Now you're separated from me because of debt, because of sin. And he says, you know what? You keep living that way. Eventually you're going to die. And where you end up is separated from God in eternity. But God says, I don't want it to be that way. He says, I made a way for that to be taken care of. He did it on the cross. And he sent his son Jesus into this world to do something, to pay a debt he did not owe. And he went to a cross and he died to pay a penalty, to pay a price, so that he paid for your sin and my sin. 
And what He wants us to do is to to understand our indebtedness and then come to Him and say, God, forgive me of my sin. Take my debt away. Salvation is when God wipes wipes the books clean. He says, you are in debt, you red ink, gone by the red blood of Jesus. He washes it away. That's what salvation is all about. And some of you are here today maybe and you say, Pastor Mark, you know what? Put the financial stuff aside. I know inside of me, I don't know God. There's a debt inside of me. You know what, friends? God wants to cancel that debt today. And here's what I know about God from His Word. That if you come to the conclusion today that i got to do something about it, guess what? It wasn't your idea. Remember we talked about the very beginning of the service? That God called us, we didn't call Him. If you're feeling something inside of you today, you know what it is? That's the Holy Spirit of God pulling you. The Holy Spirit of God calling you, saying, you know what? I made the, I made the roads of your life intersect at this exact moment because I want you to deal with the, the debt of sin in your life and I want to forgive you. I'm going to invite all of us to do something this morning. Could we just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment? We're thinking about spiritual debt. It's a private moment right now no one looking around you say Pastor Mark I understand that I'm in debt spiritually I understand that I've sinned and because I've sinned I'm telling you friends the Bible says there's now a debt you've got to pay for that somehow we understand that but the Bible says there's nothing we could do to pay that off and because of that you're stuck You can't pay it off. You can't work hard enough. You can't do enough religious duty. You can't say enough prayers. There's nothing you can do. You can't go to church enough times to do anything to pay for the debt. You can't give enough money. You can't do anything. But Jesus said, I made a way for it to happen. And Jesus came into this world and he died for you. He said, I'll take the punishment, the debt upon myself. And if you'll just come to me and ask me, you'll turn away from your old life of sin and self-willedness and you'll come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to wash my sins away. And I need to become your, 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 uh, your, your child. I need to become a child of God. And if you'll do that, that he'll receive you today. Matter of fact, it says he's the one pulling you. And if you know that right now I'm speaking that to you, and I don't know who you are, but you know that right now that's the message for you And on this day, this Sunday morning, you say, from this day forward, I'm going to give my life to Christ and I want my debt canceled and I want to become a child of God. I want you to do something bold between you, me, and God. I want you to raise up your hand. Okay? Okay? You can put your hands down. Anybody else? Okay. All right. Congregation, we're going to pray together people, a couple different, three different people across this congregation saying, I want to ask Christ in my heart. I'm going to invite you, if you raise your hand today, just pray a prayer with our congregation. Nothing magical in the words. It's just talking to God. And we're going to pray with you just to make it easier for you. Let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I know I'm in debt. And I need to be forgiven. So on this day, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Wash me of my sins. Take my debt away. On this day, Lord, 
I feel you pulling me. And I come to you. I'm now changing my life. Now you're in first place. Now you're the boss. And I'll follow you. So on this day, Lord, I come to you. I turn away from my life of sin. And I turn to you. So Lord Jesus, come into my life. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You prayed that prayer today. I'm going to challenge you to do one more thing today. At the end of our service, back in this back corner by our fireplace, we're going to have some people waiting for you back there. They've got some information for you. It's just basic information about what salvation means, basics of Bible study information, a Bible if you don't have it. They want to meet with you back there just for a few minutes, and they want to talk to you. If you've asked Christ in your life today, I'm going to challenge you, don't go until you spend some time talking to these folks who really do, really do care about you, and they really want to help you on your journey with Jesus. Now, friends, in just a moment, as the worship team begins to play, I invite you all to just find a place to pray. If God has been working in your heart, don't leave until you've done business with God. When you feel finished with the Lord, then then quietly wake your way out of the sanctuary. If you need someone to pray with you about a physical illness or anything at all, there will be people up here to pray with you. When you feel dismissed, then quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. God bless you.